five, four, three, two, one. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Here we go. It's game time. Welcome to Sports and More, where almost anything goes. Coming to you from the marsh just outside of Edmonton, Alberta, here's your host, Dean Millard. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Nice to be in orbit. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, depending on uh, when it is you are listening to this podcast. I am just glad that you have uh, chosen sports and more uh, to listen to on this day. Uh, This is going to be a bit of a bare bones podcast, uh, as you can tell. And if you've uh, heard my other podcast this week or my daily show, Sports and More Live, 2 p.m. Mountain Time on the 12-ounce Sports Radio Network, uh, my voice is uh, not that great. I've been battling a bit of a late summer cold, uh, or, or the only summer we've had is this week in, in the Edmonton area. So this is going to be a bare bones podcast, but it's going to be a great one. You're going to really enjoy it. Uh, we have three awesome things for you today on the podcast. Uh, first of all, uh, we have a former, you're, you're going to be able to listen to two former Crocus Plains High School graduates on this podcast, which is amazing. Um, we, um, we do would have went to school together in one year, but uh, didn't really uh, socialize uh, a lot. Actually, no, we would we didn't go to school uh, in Erie. He's a year younger. It's Wade Redden, former Brandon Weeking, is what I'm getting at, and of course, a former Ottawa Senator, St. Louis Blue, New York Ranger, Boston Bruin, Team Canada member uh, seven times. Uh, we'll get into all of it in a great conversation. Uh, with Wade uh, that I did uh, a couple of days ago. Jamie Thomas is going to be by as well. We'll do a little fantasy fun time as we get you set for uh, week two of the NFL. And we have something new on the program. It's Acme Meat Market Trivia. $25 gift card from Acme Meat Market is up for grabs. Go say hi to Corey, Amanda, and their wonderful staff in the Ritchie Market in the Ed, in Edmonton, 9570 76th Avenue. Check out their website, acmemeatmarket.ca. Acme Meat Market since 1921. And just know that when you do pick up something from uh, Corey the Butcher, and that's his uh, Twitter handle, by the way, you're getting something from one of the best butchers in Canada, literally. Corey was named to Team Canada. Uh, they are going to uh, an, an amazing international competition in uh, San Francisco um, next year. Uh, all kinds of butchers from all over the world will be participating. So we have a world-class butcher shop involved in sports and more. So it is absolutely awesome. We got some T-bones from there a little while ago. They were delicious. Uh, last weekend, picked up some uh, uh, meat to smoke some jerky at my buddy's house. And man, is it good. Uh, in fact, I'm going to go have a little bit after I... Uh, do this uh, podcast. So uh, check it out, Acme Meat Market, acmemeatmarket.ca, and uh, you're getting world-class butchery uh, from Acme Meat Market when you drop in there. So we're going to do Acme Meat Market trivia on every Sports & More podcast. On Sports & More Live, you can also win a $25 gift card. 
when we do What's Your Beef Wednesday, and that's on the 12 Ounce Sports Radio Network, 2 p.m. Mountain Time, Monday to Friday. So your trivia question today is, what goalie did Wade Redden score his first NHL goal against? What goalie did he beat for his first NHL goal? It actually happened on his first shot. That's pretty amazing. His first shot uh, goes in, and just like that, uh, Wade Redden uh, thought, man, this is going to be easy. So <laughs> I don't think he thought that, actually. Uh, we do talk about that in the conversation. So you don't actually, you don't even have to go Google this. Just stay tuned to this podcast. Pay attention. The answer will come to you. And when you hear that answer, email me, sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. That is sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. If you're right, then you win. If there's many people that are right, then we'll choose a winner. And somebody's going home with $25 from Acme Meat Market. Check them out at acmemeatmarket.ca. Visit Corey, Amanda, and their fine staff at 9570 76th Avenue. All right. Without further ado, let's bring you our conversation with Wade Redden. And we do that by getting to know him a little bit more in the bio. Time for the bio. Wade Redden was born in Lloydminster, Saskatchewan, and grew up in Hillmont, playing hockey in the winter and baseball in the summer. He left home at 16 to join the Brandon Wheat Kings, where he was named the Rookie of the Year in 1994 and helped lead the Wheat Kings to -to back-to-back Memorial Cup appearances in 95 and 96, as well as winning back-to-back gold medals at the World Junior Championship. Redden was drafted second overall in 1995 by the New York Islanders and in January of 96 was traded to the Ottawa Senators. Redden was a key piece in turning the Senators from an expansion team to a playoff team, as they made the postseason in his first year and every year he wore the Sens jersey including a trip to the Stanley Cup Finals in 2007. He also played in New York, Boston and St. Louis and wore the Maple Leaf seven times in total including an Olympic Games and a gold medal at the World Cup of Hockey. Uh, very excited to speak with uh, former NHLer uh, Wade Redden. And, and of course, I cannot introduce him without uh, bringing up the fact that he played for the Brandon Wheat Kings because my dad would disown me if I didn't. Uh, Wade, we've <laughs> chatted before, and uh, my dad's a, a pretty big fan of yours, so he's going to get a kick out of this interview. But uh, thanks very much for doing the show. How are you? Yeah, great. Thanks, Dean. A pleasure to do the show. And I always say good days back in Brandon, back in back in those years. So always good to to think of those days and a lot of fun times I had. Uh, we'll get to uh, some of those uh, t- uh, powerhouse teams that you played on in Brandon in uh, in a bit. But um, y- your career, when you retired, uh, you relaxed for a little bit, and then recently you were working for the Nashville Predators and uh, uh, back to uh, taking some time with the family now. But uh, tell me about the experience of, of life after hockey and, and particularly getting back into the game a little bit. Uh, what's it been like? Well, it was, it was a great experience. It was actually something that, an old teammate of mine, Scotty Nickel, who was doing the job, we retired the same year. He jumped right into it the year after he retired. And um, and then I'd been working a few years and came to Kelowna to scout one of their prospects, Justin Kirkland, met him for a beer, and he was doing it all by himself. So he brought me in to help him, which, you know, took me a while, nah, not too long to think about. It was a great opportunity and it was a good experience, actually, looking at uh, – at doing it it's player development's kind of a perfect segue for a guy like myself that's just played that you know to be get back into the game so it was, it was a lot of fun actually I, I haven't 
Uh, obviously not going to do it this year, as I told you, but I did it for three years and, and got to see behind the, you know, what things, how things work behind the scenes and the business of hockey. And it was a great, great organization to work for. A lot of great scouts and David Poyle is a great guy and, and really inclusive with everyone. So I really got to get my, you know, get right in there, you know, was encouraged to give my opinion on things. And it was a lot of fun to see how they make all the decisions and, and uh, you know, what goes on in those, those boardrooms. Well, what a model organization to to dip your toes into post-hoc, post-playing career. I mean, I don't know if there's a better organization in the last 15 years at developing players, especially the later round guys. You look at Pekka Rene and, and different players that they've, uh, you know, drafted later and then developed. Uh, you know, it must have been a, just a, mm-hmm. a great learning experience for you. Well, yeah, and they certainly, like you say, have done a great job with some of their players that, you know, they always talk about the process of developing these guys, and you see it happen with some teams where they rush guys in or or whatever, and it seems like every guy that they've brought up through that system, they've gone to Milwaukee and played at least a half a year, whether it's Roman Yossi or Ryan Ellis, guys that are, you know, all-star defensemen now really in the league, some of the best they got. You know, I think everyone that's played a come up through their systems been drafted has gone to Milwaukee and kind of learn the ropes that way so that's that's a big part of their development mentality and, and it's worked for them for sure they got a lot of guys in that locker room that are you know drafted and developed and and their patient group David Poyle he's been around a long time and um, you know he's a real loyal guy he sees the you know gives guys chances and and it's a good atmosphere around there yeah, they uh, they really do set a great example of how to how to let your players marinate almost uh, in the American Hockey League. Uh, you, you have a young family, so I can understand wanting to spend some time with them, especially as they're growing up. But do you have an eye on getting back into uh, hockey, maybe in the management side uh, down the road? Well, like I said, it was a great experience and, and a great group of people to work with. Um, it just didn't work for me personally, I guess, with my family being so young and stuff. So I took a step back and. I guess at this point, it's like rookie camp's only three or four days old. So I, I'll kind of sit this season and see how I feel. And, um, you know, if there was, an, you know, see how I'm feeling, I guess, a year from now or or as time passes and, and maybe try to get another opportunity. But as, as it sits now, I'm going to just kind of keep busy at home and, and got a few other things. Actually, harvest time is coming back in Hillmont, Saskatchewan. So the old man's still farming, so I might try to get back there and, and uh, got some time to help him too. Oh, that's uh, awesome. It's it's amazing. Uh, I had Kelly McCrimmon, uh, your old uh, GM in, in Brandon, on my very first podcast, and, and he told the story about how he when he got out of Michigan, he was almost going to go and just be a farmer, and that's a, that's what his plan, and hockey got in the way, this legendary, legendary hockey career. So I love that you, you still look to uh, go back to the farm and help out, and, uh, you know, that, that's home for you, and that's where you probably have some uh, amazing memories of uh, growing up uh, playing sports and just you know, being on the farm. Yeah, well, no, it's, gosh, I'm 42 years old now. I moved, I left for Brandon when I was 16, so I really haven't been around since then in large part. I mean, I'd go back in the summers and stuff, but, um, and since retiring, I'm now living in Kelowna. But, yeah, I know, had a tight bond with Kelly from day one. I know him and Brad were, obviously, grew up on the farm in Plenty, Saskatchewan. We were just a little north of there in Hillmont, and, um, it's a special place for sure, and, and you know, someone I always consider home. But 
I know Kelly, he didn't last too long going back there. And obviously, Nesda had a great run in the in the hockey business and has a little more control over things. I think he was sick of Mother Nature dictating terms for him. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's fun to get back there and, and a big part of, of who I am and and uh, still fun that Dad's doing it so I can go back and, and be a part of it a bit. So did you, when you grew up playing hockey, did you play for Lloyd Minster teams or did you guys have your own teams in Hillmont? We were always uh, Hillmont. Yeah, a little town just northeast of Lloyd. And I guess once we got to another age, like say Adam or something, where, you know, there wasn't a lot of kids around. So we joined with another little town called Paradise Hill, which is a little further north. And then, you know, once we got to Bantam and Peewee, we were, you know, we'd pick up a few more kids. And we ended up having really good little teams. We had uh, had some good teams back in those days. So it was, yeah, I still look back. We had the same group of kids. We all play hockey together. And then in the summers, we'd play fastball together. So it was uh, it was a special group and, uh, you know, a lot of great memories from those days. Yeah, that's the one thing that uh, people don't know about uh, the bond of small towns is you spend your winters in the rink and your summers on the ball diamond or out in the field uh, farming. You know, I grew up in Brandon, but uh, there's enough small towns around there. You get out to them and, you know, sports is such a huge bonding, uh, you know, and a meeting point. You get up and, and, that, and that's how you uh, get together with uh, friends and family at the, at the rink or the ball diamond. Oh, yeah. I mean, we always... My brother and I always say that was our church on Sunday morning. Like we'd be, <laughs> I mean, when, once we got to a, you know, certain age, we we're at tournaments every weekend, whether it was the ball field or the hockey rink. So, um, yeah, for sure, that was uh, that was what we did for sure, and that was what we lived for. Uh, well, we both have in common that we're graduates of uh, Crocus Plains Regional High School. So uh, you, you oh, spent yeah. your uh, great <laughs> Plainsman, yeah, Plainsman up. Uh, you, you spent your uh, high school days uh, and and your high school years in Brandon playing for the Wheat Kings. Um, what what was your, I, I'd imagine you'd been to Brandon before playing hockey, but what was your impression of Brandon and the Wheat Kings when you uh, heard you were going to become a member of the team? Well, I didn't have a lot of knowledge. I guess that was in what you would have been when I got drafted, like 92 or something, 91 or 92. So I knew, uh, well, my dad was familiar with Kelly. Kelly McCrimmon had actually coached the junior team in Lloyd Minster a few years before going back to Brandon. And dad knew him and his dad from way back in the day. So we're obviously happy to, to be going to a, a place where someone we knew and respected. They wasn't, we weren't too thrilled about the nine-hour drive going there from our home. but Nobody is. Um, no, and actually they were one of the worst teams around at that time. Actually, the year I got drafted, or the year after that, when I was a 15-year-old, they had a really turnaround season. And then, you know, obviously when I got there, the, the team had turned it the full 180. So it was, uh, you know, obviously from the moment I got there, it was a pretty, pretty, pretty fun run. We had a good teams all the way through and a lot of great memories. I was actually, speaking of the fastball, I was, when I was 16, before coming to Brandon, I was playing on the uh, the team Midwest Spurs, which, which was, was our team back home. And we went to the Nationals in Victoria. So we ended up winning Nationals. And then I hopped on a plane and went straight to uh, Brandon for training camp. I didn't have my hockey equipment with me either. So they geared me up with all new stuff. <laughs> and all the some of the vets, Dingman and Cloutier, they're all mad that I got all new gear. So I always had a target on my back from day one. But... It ends up being a lot of fun, and uh, 
quick turnaround from ball to hockey that year. Yeah, no kidding. And, and quick turnaround for the Weekings. Um, you know, I was billeting players when you were drafted and they won 11 games. And then obviously the, the big trade for, for Trevor Kidd for Marty Murray really uh, got that mm-hmm. franchise going. And, and that's kind of when you, you joined in that, that run. And, and you're right, you guys had some really good teams. You went to, you had to back-to-back Memorial Cups and lost in the semifinals both times, didn't you? Yes, we did. Yeah, we, uh, yeah. So Marty's two years older than me. And then um, I think my second year, which was his last year, we went up losing the Kamloops in the league final. They were hosting the Memorial Cup. So we went to also lost the Detroit Junior Red Wings in the semifinal. And then the next year, we won the Western League and lost to Peterborough in the semifinal. So we got close both years. That's, yeah, looking back, those were games that, I think we lost each of them maybe by a goal, maybe mm-hmm. two, but it was, you know, one goal or one game take all. And it was, you know, unfortunately we weren't able to, to get the Memorial Cup because that organization's been so good for so long. It'd be nice to see them get one. It's amazing. It's the one thing that amazes me that, uh, that you know, especially you look back at the, the like the 1979 years when, you know, Brad, the late Brad Kermit was playing 58 minutes a game and uh, uh, how, they, yeah. how they didn't win those. And it's amazing that organization has been around as, as long as they have and, and not got it done. It's funny, I had Joaquin Gage on my uh, podcast recently and he joked how he hated those Kamloops guys. He said they were just so good and then when Niedermeyer was there, it was unbelievable, but they really were juggernaut yeah. teams, those Kamloops teams in the mid-90s, weren't they? Oh, I know. Yeah, they look at Niedermeyer, Sador, and then the next wave was, well, Baumgartner, was, he was one of the top D-men and they had Strudwick and Jason Holland and... Lukowicz, all guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But then the forwards, those are all demons. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Doan, Aginla, Nash, Tucker. I mean, all those guys played had good NHL careers, too, which is pretty amazing when you think about uh, a junior team and that many NHL guys. Ryan Huska, who played, he never played much. Any, I think he might have played one game in the NHL. He's now coaching. Mm-hmm. He was coaching Kelowna, but he scored the winner against us game six in overtime when they won the league championship so there was lots of good players there and yeah they uh they cashed in two with three three or four years for sure so you never got a memorial cup but you did win two world juniors uh, with team canada and uh you know those were pretty special teams as, as well weren't they oh yeah those were those are really special teams my first year was there's a lockout year as well so there's a lot of players that would have been the NHL had it not been the lockout. Um, Marty Murray got player in the tournament that that uh, that tournament. That was '95 in Red Deer, and then Brian McCabe was the top defenseman in the tournament. We had Jason Allison, who was, I think all three of those guys were like top first All Star team. But that was an un- unreal team, and actually made the team. I think there was uh, what was his name, Ar- Derek Armstrong, I think. I know Chris Armstrong, I think was his name. He was a defenseman in Moose Jaw. He got hurt. Jamie Allison got hurt. He was another defenseman. Those are both 19-year-old guys. Kind of opened the door for me to get in and ended up getting some some playing time, scored a few goals in that tournament. So it was a pretty, pretty awesome experience, that, that tournament. Yeah, that that's uh, that's just such a great tournament uh, every year. You know, whether you know somebody in the tournament or you're just a Canadian fan, I'm sure that was a tournament you grew up watching with your family every year. Yeah, it sure wasn't the coverage that they had. Yeah. Even like TSN took it over. I don't know what year. So I remember the years previous. As a young guy, you'd get up in the middle of the 
you know, real early in the morning. And I think Don Whitman and uh, who who else would be calling the Don game? Cherry back was, uh, Don Cherry Don was on Cherry was on the uh, punch up of Pia Stani. That's for sure. Yes, he was with Brian Williams. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So I remember those those things, those tournaments distinctly. And uh, but they sure didn't have the coverage they they do now, or even when I was playing, for that matter. TSN was pretty covered them all. But uh, no, it was a exciting time. It was, uh, you know, and being right in Red Deer, close to home, there's lots of friends and family around. So that just added to the excitement. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's just such an it, it has evolved into it into a bit of a monster in a, in a good way. Um, but you know, the, there are people that say there's too much pressure on the kids, and I understand these are 16 and 17 year old kids. But we are talking about elite athletes. I mean, we just watched Bianca Andreescu at 19 years old win a U.S. Open. So, um, do you do you see elite athletes being able to handle pressure more than um, the the average person? Um, well, certainly they're in the position like that in the, under the spotlight, you see this Andrescu and how she handles it. It's not like she just stepped into it, you know, mm-hmm. you know, like she's been through a lot already just to get to this point in her career. That's the same can be said for these kids in the world juniors. And I mean, I guess the, the, the levels of the other countries have bumped up so much when I played, I mean, it was, it was us, I guess, Sweden and, Russia, U.S. had a decent team, but I mean, there what? It's just, uh, I guess the parity has gotten so good now. Like you see, Finland's winning. I think they've won three of the last six World Juniors, and you see the the other countries that have come so far. So Canada hasn't taken a step back, but yeah, the competition's bigger, and and the expectations are still there. So you know, you're not going to win every year, but you know, I guess that's a good experience for these guys to go through and whether they win or lose, I think you just want to see them go and give it their all. And that's really all that they can control. And I think that's really the message always team Canada has. Like obviously you're going for the gold, but I mean, you just go and play as hard as you can. That's, that's all you can really control. And, I think that's the mentality they have. Yeah, and and like it or not, you're you're wearing the maple leaf, and and gold is the expectation. Uh, just like uh, when when the United States uh, plays basketball or or th- anything like that, uh, when when you are a world leader in that sport, there's going to be targets on on your back, and and that comes with the territory of wearing the maple leaf, which you've done, you know, several times uh, at the Olympics and the World Cup and World Championships as well. It, it doesn't change ever, does it? It's the maple leaf, and and it's the expectations that go with it. Yeah, no, and I think everyone knows full well that that's what's expected or that's what the goal is. And um, But I think the, the key is just to have fun with it. Like, I think every tournament I've ever been on, I in the Olympics, we didn't have a, you know, we lost in the quarterfinals and things didn't go our way. But what do you do? I mean, that's the way hockey goes and you kind of move forward and you learn from that. But certainly there's nothing better than winning the gold, especially, you know, when you're, you know, you're looking at the, the stage and how big it is. It's it's a lot of fun to, to be a part of those winning teams. Yeah, and uh, th- that that Olympic team that you were on, it was a it was a circus uh, at that time with everything the 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 atmosphere around it. I, I'd imagine that was a um, um, you know a fun experience, but also maybe pretty stressful. I'd imagine too. Well, and that thing is to what you feel inside the room or like what there was being said on the TV back home, or you don't even know, like we're in Torino, Italy. Right. You have, don't really have any coverage of, of what's going on, which is kind of nice. You're in your own little world. Um, 
But yeah, it was, it was a disappointing tournament. We played six games that tournament, two different rinks. I think the three games we played in the older rink, we didn't score one goal. So um, it was kind of a anomaly almost when you look at the lineup we had and not get shut out three times. Yeah. It was, uh, I know Joe Sackick broke his jaw. He played through. He kind of had a, a shield on. Um, Niedermeyer was hurt that tournament. He wasn't even there, which would have helped pro- big time. Um, but yeah, just it, things didn't click for whatever reason. Switzerland beat us. They shut us out. Martin Gerber. He was on was the, yeah, the was game the of his life. Eh? Game of his life. <laughs> yeah, game of his life. And there was a picture in the paper the next day that Rick Nash, he made a glove hand, or Gerber make a glove hand save and then Tuck was over the line. They just caught it right yeah. at the post. But of course, they didn't didn't see it. So that's that's just the way it went and it just things were not clicking that those two weeks for us so that's the way it goes and it's happened time you know obviously there's been like you said we're talking about the expectation being gold when they don't go right there's lots of things you can Mm -hmm. point at but it's uh you know it's just part of the game you gotta you know, you're not going to win them all. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there would be uh, no contest. That that Martin Gerber save, that was my screensaver for so long because it was such a terrific pitcher of, of it looked like it was in. I, I think everybody thought it was in. It was just like, man, that was crazy. I know. I think he had, you could see his eyes and his face just yeah. zoned right in on the pocket. Yeah, a great pitcher. Played with Martin. I think at that time we were playing together too, so it was uh, double, double the... <laughs> That hurt. Yeah, double whammy for sure. Um, yeah. Want to go back? So you you um, you know graduate from Brandon and uh, leave the the weekends to turn pro. But you were drafted by the Islanders. You end up with the uh, the Senators in a trade. What was the whole draft process and trade situation like for you at at, at such a young age? Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, that draft year that was my, I guess, the year that I played in in. Uh, Red Deer at the World Juniors was my draft year. And it was Brian Burrard and myself. We were two undrafted players at that tournament. So there was kind of a lot made of him and I. We ended up going one and two in the draft. And him and I kind of had a, you know, we're kind of talked about, I guess, in the media and stuff like that with all year long talking about who would be one, who would be two, and yada, yada. And then sure enough, he goes one, I go two, and then we get traded for each other that following season when we're both back in junior. So it was... uh I mean, it was a good experience. I know going to the Islanders, um, I went to training camp there. Mike Milbury was the coach, and it was – they were kind of, you know, in a in a rut, I guess. I don't know. Like, they were an organization kind of trying to find themselves still and had a lot of good young prospects and made a lot of trades. And I was kind of happy to get out of there and get to a place in Ottawa that – you know, they had a kind of a new beginning there too. Is almost similar to my situation coming to Brandon, where they're you know one of the weakest teams in the league, and then right. made a bunch of changes and, and doing a turnaround, and was able to be a part of that too. My first year making the playoffs and and being a team, I think we made the playoffs every year while I was there. So it was had a few good runs in the playoffs as well. But it was uh, you know as a young guy getting drafted as you know obviously exciting time, and then. Going back to junior, I, was, I remember sitting in the island. We were at the there's the Marriott right across from Nassau Coliseum, and I just knew I I wasn't ready to be there. You know, physically I wasn't. I knew I wasn't going to play there that year. I just wasn't ready, and I was 
looking forward to getting back to Brandon. So I think there's an opportunity to sign and play the 10 games, but I just told my agent, I think, you know, let's just go back and I want a good year junior. And, and that was what, what it ended up happening. And then sure enough, got traded out of there and, and a fresh start in Ottawa. So it was, uh, it all worked out pretty good from there. Well, best thing in the long run, you knew you weren't ready. And if, if you would have forced yourself to play, you'd be playing without a lot of confidence because you knew you weren't ready. You go back and have a full season in junior like you did. And obviously things went, went really well. So in, in the long run, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's better for, you know, everybody wants to get to the NHL, but if you can realize that in the long run, it's better, it obviously works out most times, I think. Well, for sure. And I, I see guys now, even undrafted free agents from college, like just being doing my job with Nashville. And these guys, if they want so bad to get to the NHL and play a game, like there's, I don't know all the rules with the CBA, but when these guys come in and are even guys that leave school early, they want to go and end up hamstringing themselves where they got to go to the NHL. So they sign them and they can't go down to the minors because of the way the contract's structured and, you know, my opinion and my thought when I was that age, I just wanted to play. I wanted to play lots and, and develop. And so, yeah, I could have played at the NHL, you know, for a few games at 18, but I, you know, I just wanted to get back and, and, you know, feel where I, I wanted to be and where I belonged. And, um, and then the next year at 19 going to Ottawa, I, you know, a lot, lot stronger and a lot more experienced, I guess, in a lot of ways. And, and uh, was able to make the jump then. So I'm sure glad I was patient and, and did it that way. And, you know, you, you see that time and time again where some young guys have, have gone too early. So I think I had a good good team around me with my parents. And obviously Kelly was a big, big part of all that. And I think he wanted me back in Brandon too. So that helped maybe sway his decision process. But uh, it, was, uh, it was definitely needed to go back to junior with my my situation and we ended up going back and having a great year in Brandon. Yeah. And, and it worked out. You, you spent a decade plus uh, in Ottawa with the senators. Uh, you go to a, a Stanley cup final, you had some good years. Uh, you played some with great players. I want to ask you about uh, three guys that you played with in, in Ottawa, one being Daniel Alfredson and uh, Matt Cassian was my uh, post pre and post game uh, uh, pre-game analyst on uh, TSN when I worked there. He told me some great things about Alfredson as a captain. Um, and he said, I don't think he spent as much time with him as you did, but what was Daniel Alfredson like to be around? He seemed like a really good leader as a captain. Yeah, no, I, it was a guy that I, you know, obviously played with for all those years and was had a real tight bond with. There was a really special group that we had in Ottawa with him, Chris Phillips, Fisher, Neal, Spezza, Chris Kelly, Danny Healy was there. I mean, we had such a good group of guys and actually all, everyone got along so well together and was, we had some success together. So it was so much fun. But Alfie was, was definitely a key guy. I mean, being the captain, and just the way he played the game, the way he came prepared to work and, and battle every day. Like he was the strongest guy, one of the top in the fitness testing every year and just, um, kind of had that air about him where, you know, he was confident in what he did and that kind of spread out to everyone else because he, he could do everything on the ice. He played every every situation and was such a smart player that it, it just uh, was a, you know, kind of set the tone for everybody. But he was a great guy. And that was also kind of pissed me off how good he was at everything else too, whether it was <laughs> ping pong or soccer or even basketball. I remember going to shoot hoops and here we ended up having a little game and he was – Sure enough, he figures things out pretty quick. He's just that kind of guy to 
as an athlete. So, um, but he always himself would attest that it's his work ethic that that kind of took him to the other level, and and I don't disagree with that. How about uh, Zdeno Chara? And uh, you got to play with him in Ottawa and then uh, in Boston uh, before you retired again. Um, but the thing I've always heard about him is this specimen. Like he does not put, I've, I've heard he doesn't put anything in his body that doesn't belong and it just takes really good care. Is it, uh, are there legendary stories that you saw of Zdeno Chara? Just, uh, <laughs> you know, like that his body is a temple? Yeah. Well, it's funny, the, the theme here with Alfie and now with Z like just hard work that's really in determination like whether it was just the discipline to like you said you're exactly right in the way he treated himself and how he approached you know himself and and uh took care of himself uh he there wasn't a day where he wasn't in the gym even if the day after the season he was back in the gym working out and he there was a time there where he went in for his holiday in the summer he went and rode in the tour de france like whatever there's a it's obviously not the, the tour riders, but there's a high level of uh, kind of the tourists that could do it, and he was one of those guys that did that. But um, it's no no surprise. I mean, obviously a lot of it's natural ability and just the genetics the way he is. But he was he was a pretty special player to to be with for sure, and and still doing it to this day. The most impressive is at all is even that he's still going now, and I think he's just got in his head that he wants i don't know if he's wanting to play till 50 or what but he <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised if he got there yeah i was gonna say he climbed a mountain one off season too it's just uh it's just amazing and you know the more power like I, I just can't imagine trying to you know either go wide or get around him his wingspan is so massive uh so when you were paired with him it must have been a lot of fun yeah no he uh no well, he was a big part of of our team for sure as soon as he got there and that was <laughs> That was another legendary trade with the yeah. Islanders. We yeah. got him and Spezza was a second pick for Yashin, so that was kind of helped set the table for our organization for a number of years as well. But uh, I mean, he was obviously the, the physical stature and uh, you know, even his ability, the way he you know worked off the ice, but even his skills on the ice, he just made himself into a player. Because when he got there, he wasn't. You know, he wasn't a top defenseman at that time. He was only, well, he would have been 23 maybe or something like that. But um, you just saw that he wanted to be a, I think that was his goal was to be an all-star, to be a Hall of Fame guy. And that's that's kind of what he's, what he's worked towards himself now. But um, but it's also his, just his ferocity. Like he wanted to win. And I remember a <laughs> funny story. I don't remember doing this, but I remember, with the Islanders, he always, he told me a story one time when, where there was a bit of a scrum in, in the, uh, in the one game we we're playing against him. And I looked him in the eyes and I told him to half off. And I was like, <laughs> he, he said, he, I like that. I love that. And <laughs> I don't remember doing it. There must've been about four guys in between us. Cause, uh, he, uh, obviously not going to take a swing at him or anything, but he, mm. uh, he had that look in his eyes and he still has it. This is the, his game face like he's just an intense dude and he plays that way and he doesn't doesn't let guys off the hook so he's a he's a tough competitor a moment of bravery for you in that situation wade yes a moment <laughs> of bravery I, I think i did that once to steve smith too really who, he was late in his career and he lost it on me and i was like oh i was like scrambling to get away from him but it was kind of funny he was 
as big as Char at that time. But oh yeah, those big guys, you don't want to mess too much with them. Um, okay, so the the trade, you know, you came from the Islanders, Chara came from the Islanders, and the guy that went to the island is another guy I wanted to ask you about, and and Alexi Yashin. We talked about the 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 work ethic of uh, Alfredson and Chara, and I'm not saying the Alexi Yashin doesn't have work ethic, but the skill level on that guy off the charts is that maybe one of the most skilled guys you played with in the NHL on a team? Yeah, I mean he was. You know, he wasn't the greatest skater or anything, but he was such a big, strong guy, and he had a great shot. And uh, he was kind of a, I don't know, a bit of a savant. Like, he kept to himself quite a bit. Like, he was an intelligent guy, but quiet, and you never really got a read on on how he was. You know, like, he wasn't a guy that was in the locker room, kind of part of the group. He kind of stuck to himself a lot, so... Um, but when you did have moments when you you know you chatted with him and he opened up a bit, he was such a nice guy and a good guy. So, um, but yeah, he you know playing with him the first couple of years was you know you get him the puck, he loves coming in off the offside, he can shoot that puck, and he scored some big goals for us. I know that first year, my second year, I guess we made the playoffs and beat Jersey in the first round, and he had a like him and Alfie scored a bunch of big goals in that that series. And, um, but yeah, I didn't really, I guess I'm not even sure how many years I ended up playing with him, but he was just kind of a, a guy that, you know, didn't really open up and, and, uh, be part of the group, like wish he would have, but mm-hmm. You know, real talented guy. Yeah, good good hands for sure. And that shot too, yeah. as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, speaking of shots, I read somewhere, and I just want to clarify, did you score your first goal in the NHL on your first shot? Yes. That's yeah, amazing, isn't it? Yeah, actually, in Montreal, it is actually amazing. It's a pretty cool experience. It's almost like as in just that whole first day of the first game in, the, in Montreal with Ottawa. And uh, I actually got on, I think my first shift was a power or a penalty kill <clears throat> and uh, early in the first period. And I kind of let Mark Recchi, I don't know, he kind of a bang, bang play. I was standing right beside him and he ended up scoring. That was my first shift in the league. And then the game, we ended up tying that game. And I remember with a few other plays that stand out, I kind of chased down Stefan Richet and lifted a stick on a breakaway and, you know, thwarted that chance. And then Alfredson fed me, I think it was a power play goal too. In the second period, I walked down the middle and he got me in the slot for one timer on Jocelyn Thibault. So yeah, first goal, first game. Pretty yeah. awesome. You, 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 the game was easy, right? You had it figured out. First shot, first goal. It's uh, Bobby yeah. O time, right? <laughs> <laughs> I got six that first year. I think it took me two months to get number two, but um got the first one out of the way early anyways so that was good yeah i think at your uh career high was 19 or something i think uh with ottawa yeah 17 and i think i got the one year okay i think that was 17 you're right yeah 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 17 that was 0304 i think looking back and i think it was the league lead for the men and tied with pavel cabina another old name Um, what about, uh, it's funny, I, I ask, I love to talk to, you know, guys that played pro and Rob Brown, uh, was in here, uh, a few weeks ago and uh, we talked about, um, you know, the personalities of hockey players. I, you know, I, 
I don't think that hockey players are as outgoing as, um, you know, some NBA players or NFL or even Major League Baseball. Maybe it's the, the Canadians uh, that, that I'm referring to as they're a little bit more laid back and conservative in the media spotlight. But in the dressing room, guys let loose. Who was the funniest teammate you had? Um, well, it's a funny question, actually. It's a guy that's now doing a bunch of media in the French RDS or something. I'm not sure. Maybe not RDS anymore, but he seems to be with French TV is Andre Waugh. Okay. And uh, Andre came to Ottawa. We were together earlier in my career, and um, him and other guys, he's the guy that stands out the most, I guess. Like, he was just like, always had a, he's a really loud guy and always funny guy and always have just something to say about everything and made all these noises and doing goofy stuff all the time in the dress room. So he was, he's now doing that. I don't know. He probably aren't watching much French sports channels, but probably not. No. He's kind of got, he, he's got a, uh, or he did have a special on the, and kind of featured guys where he'd go around and interview and then he'd get his guitar out and he'd sing a song and, <laughs> And he'd do that. I remember him doing that when we have different team building things or, you know, nights out when we'd have a chance to relax, he'd have his guitar and play songs, but just make up his own lyrics and the funniest things would come out of his mouth. So, um, yeah, he was a, he was a real character. Who was the one guy um, that that you never wanted to face one on one? Was there was there a forward that you know, and, and like in the in the fast pace of the game, if you're looking up and seeing him, do you go like, oh, this is going to be a tough one? Who was there one guy that was always really difficult one on one? Yeah, well, I probably mean, a few, maybe. I guess it's, yeah, a few. It's twofold, probably. I I think early in my career, I always I got asked that question before a few times, and I always would say Stan Kappen and and he was few years there. He was like one of the, he was an all-star and I remember playing him. He was just so quick and so not a big guy, but just spin off you. And then um, I guess the same type of guy, same type of, a lot better was when Crosby got in the league. Like he was, right. was, I mean, obviously we all know what kind of player he is, but he was just so dynamic and so strong and fast. Like you try to, you get on him and get a, body on him and he'd spin or he'd just push off you and be so strong to get away that um i guess it was twofold at that time because i was kind of older and later in my career so it's maybe a step slower too and he's this young 19 20 year old guy just flying around and one of the best in the league already so didn't didn't help my chances out any but yeah crosby crosby and then him and captain and they're kind of the same same body structure for sure small thick guys that, that could really move. How would you stop McDavid if you were playing today? Oh, I'd just make a beeline for the close post. I think <laughs> would be my, my plan. <laughs> Give him some room. It's amazing. Oh, man, eh? That's pretty impressive. Yeah. I haven't seen him live yet, but just, you know, the way he can explode, like just explosive skater. It's pretty, uh, pretty amazing to watch. Yeah, his his edges uh, are just uh, that, that's what I think it makes it so difficult is you never know which which way he's going to go because he's so strong on, on each side, right? And and you know you have that. Yeah. You know, some guys are a little bit stronger on one hand or the other. He seems to be able to, on on edges no matter where. You know, he's he's always so strong on the puck. Yeah, back and forth, and just keeping it like just so quick with his hands too to be able to keep up with his feet. Um, 
pretty amazing. Yeah. Who? What defenseman? What, what defenseman do you like to watch when you watch hockey? Um, you know, who stands out to you in, t- in the game today from the blue line? Geez, I don't even know who I'd pick. I mean, obviously Eric Carlson. He's pretty fun to watch, and I'd kind of followed followed uh, the Ottawa in his days there. Mm-hmm. I kind of had a special eye on that team, but probably being close and being around Nashville, it's Roman Yossi. What he can do and it doesn't look like he's the fastest guy or like, I don't know how he does it. He's, he's, but he is like, he's so quick and so fast. He's all over the ice all the time. And the way that Lafayette has those guys playing, they're up the ice and kind of a five man attack. And they, so he's up, you know, I think he's one of the top in the league right now, Roman Yossi. He's, he's that good to me. And, um, he's a big, big catalyst on that team. And they're, you know, hopefully they can put it together this year and have a have a, a big year. They got a you know one of the top teams, so hopefully they got on a roll this year. But mm-hmm. he can do it all. He's he's really good and you know a, a real great player. Yeah, he he does a little bit of everything. A uh, second round pick. You know the guy I love in Nashville is Matthias Ekholm, who's you know a, another mid round, like a fourth round pick that just does such a steady job for the Predators. Doesn't get noticed as much as some of the other guys, but he's a steady Eddie, isn't he? Yeah, less fanfare, but steady. But he's also up the ice all the time. Like, he makes plays offensively that, you know, you think he's a stay-home guy because they got Ellis, they had Subin last year, and they mm-hmm. had, obviously, uh, Yossi. But, yeah, he's an underrated guy. I mean, he's one of the, you know, when you look at that team, he's a such a huge part of it, too, and he does so much for them. So, um, big Swede. I think he's a big big uh, viking looks like one for yeah, sure no kidding. But, uh, he's uh, he's yeah i like him a lot too yeah he's uh, he's pretty great uh, as were you uh, in your uh, career wade and in this interview as well uh, thank you uh, so much for spending some time with me uh, enjoy uh, the 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 time off and uh, maybe you'll get back into the game uh, down the road and, uh, and and again once again thank you so much for uh, speaking to me on uh, sports and more yeah i appreciate it dean always a pleasure <sighs> It's fantasy time. Uh, yeah, we're talking fantasy sports. <laughs> Not dear penthouse. But don't worry, winning your league is way better than porn. Woo-hoo! It's time now for Fantasy Fun Time with Jamie Thomas. My man. All right, all right, all right. I said we got a winner. <laughs> All right, let's bring in our uh, good friend Jamie Thomas from Jets TV. You can uh, follow him on Twitter at uh, Jamie Thomas TV. And uh, Jamie, we're going to talk fantasy fun time. We'll get into the Morrissey news in just a second because uh, you're right there. But uh, let's take a look at National Football League fantasy football. It is the biggest thing on the planet when the uh, football season starts. What stood out to you from week one? What individual performances, good or bad? Uh, well, Patrick Mahomes is exactly what you know people expect him to be. He d- delivered uh, everything that you would expect from the number one quarterback on the board. Uh, you know, Ezekiel Elliott got the carries, didn't get all the carries he's going to get going forward, but you can tell that he's uh, near uh, being exactly where he needs to be. Uh, I think another thing that stands out for me, too, is Todd Gurley. Like, everyone's concerned about his knee yeah. uh, heading into the season with the Los Angeles Rams. Didn't get, you know, of course, Malcolm Brown. Uh, vaulted his uh, touchdowns. Uh, he was uh, down inside the uh, red zone, got two touchdowns from 
Todd Gurley, but I think going forward, uh, you think you can feel pretty confident about where you are with Todd Gurley. He's going to be one of the top 10 running backs in the National Football League and fantasy football this year. And then, of course, the guy that you sat on your bench this past weekend. Oh, no uh, kidding. I got from you. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure we didn't expect 24 points. And that was, that was in our league. It was a touchdown only league. And touchdowns being only four points uh, per touchdown throw and anything over 50 is uh, of course eight, but I don't think anyone saw that, but now uh, we can kind of dispense of that fact that Lamar Jackson is only going to be like a run running type quarterback. Uh, And I loved how he handled it afterwards. Not bad for a running back. I believe it's not the exact direct quote, but paraphrasing a little bit of what he said. Cause everybody wanted him. Everybody wanted him to be a running back, right? Or not everybody, but a lot of people did. Yeah, a lot of a lot of football coaches, uh, prof- professional uh, scouts and stuff, were asking him to become even a receiver or a cornerback at some point too. So uh, it, it's funny how a full training camp can change everything for uh, a player like Lamar Jackson. So another thing we do know is like anytime you want points, uh, you just have to look about anybody that is starting against either the Miami Dolphins or the Arizona Cardinals, <laughs> and you can just line that up every year, right? So just, and I'm sure. I think there's a lot of people probably overvaluing a lot of players on the New England Patriots this week. Uh, and it's, it's definitely going to be at some point where the Dolphins are going to get some pride and they're not just going to stand by where everybody rolls up 50 points on them every week. And I think you have to be, these are professional football players. They do have, you know, egos and they have future in front of them. So they're just going to roll over and let everybody beat the crap out of them every week. But you're still pretty safe with whoever you start against the Dolphins or the Arizona Cardinals defense. So it was a very fascinating first week. Some big injuries, you know, Hunter Henry from the San Diego Chargers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go down the list in that aspect, but that's just natural, right? And I think now we can look at that first week. You can look at what Aaron Rodgers did in the opening week, and you can look at what Mitch Trubisky did in the first week. A lot of, you know, underachieving in that point, but there's guys that didn't, you know, Aaron Rodgers did not play a single snap of the preseason. And we can blame that on the turf here in, in Winnipeg for that, that happening. And then Mitch Trubisky didn't play either. So I think we can just slow down a little bit. It's classic week one overreaction. Guys are only going to get better. Some guys are going to be exactly what we thought they were, but I think you can be safe that Aaron Rodgers and Mitch Trubisky is going to get a little bit better as, as the season progresses. Uh, Damian Williams, I drafted him pretty high in our draft, and LaShawn McCoy stole some carries and some past history with Andy Reid could play into that as well too, right? Yeah, I think people should be a little bit concerned because I believe the snaps are very close to one another and familiarity is always going to overrule and not take anything from Williams, a very good player, but Andy Reid has a history with LaShawn McCoy and, you know, LaShawn McCoy was abused in the past couple of years with the Buffalo Bills. Their offensive line wasn't up to snuff. So I'd be careful there. Uh, and it, yeah, of course you look at anybody in the, in the Kansas City Chiefs uh, lineup and you're going to, you know, in terms of from a fantasy perspective and you're going to line up and go, that's great. But now that LaShawn McCoy came in there and kind of, you know, ruin that for you a little bit, Dino. Uh, you have to keep an eye on the snap count. Uh, there's plenty of places to go uh, nowadays to keep track of how many snaps per player is going to get or what downs are being used on so you can track down that type of information. But it bears watching uh, Damian Williams and LaShawn McCoy, who's getting the bulk of the carries in certain situations. Uh, the uh, New England Patriots obviously made some moves with Antonio Brown, and now he's facing legal trouble, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, they traded away, uh, it was Demarius Thomas, and a lot of people are wondering about Rob Gronkowski, if he's going to make a, a, a return and people can stash him on the roster. Uh, you know why I hope Rob Gronkowski does not return? He just did an interview today with uh, Rena Neenan from CBS News and admitted that he's had likely 20 concussions and five blackout concussions. 
Like, just stay away. Just, just you know, he's promoting his CBD, and that's great because I think that can help a lot of people. Stay away from football and, and stay as healthy as you can, Gronk. That's my advice. Yeah, and another thing, too, I don't know where he was speaking. I think he was speaking to a college or, or university or high school students, and he got very emotional about the wear and tear of, of what football had done to him uh, from a mental perspective. So uh, seeing him break down a little bit and get emotional just talking about the grind of football, I would hope that he has enough money, and that's the benefit nowadays of professional sports, especially in football at key positions, is you get paid enough where you can play for a time and then just hang them up and be financially safe for the rest of your life. Uh, I know that's not the case in the 80s and 90s, but now this is at that time. So I agree with you. To hear him say he's had 20 concussions, I don't think he's blown that out of, out of any proportion whatsoever. I've seen him take some pretty good hits because of that size, right? He reminds me so much uh, of Eric Lindros, uh, just the target of the size. Totally. Just, you know, because you feel like you're invincible because of the size of you are. And then I remember Darius Kasparitis getting Lindros right in the chest and that gave him a concussion. That's what reminds me of Krakowski is such a huge physical specimen. He probably felt like nothing could hurt him. Uh, and then after you kind of take that for granted and guys will take shots at you week after week. And I really do hope that, and I know he's made enough money. I've seen that you know, everyone can look up exactly how much money Rob Gronkowski has made over his life. Um, I think uh, he's going to be wise and step back, and I really hope the Patriots don't decide to bring him back because Bill Belichick can, is so good at finding people and changing the system of his offense to fit whatever players he has. And uh, I'm hoping, crossing my fingers, that Rob Gronkowski is, is smart enough to, to step aside. He had a great career. He's probably going to go in the Hall of Fame. He's had enough football champions, you know, enough Super Bowls uh, that all of us could be jealous about. So I just think uh, he should just be wise and make the right choice, young enough to do whatever he wants for the rest of his life. So stay aside, Gronk, and... Uh, just be just be on the sideline for a while. How about in uh, Major League Baseball? Christian Yelich done for the year. That's got to kill owners in fantasy baseball playoffs. I, I think the the team that owns Yelich in our league, uh, they're not in the main playoffs. They're in the uh, the uh, toilet bowl, right? Yeah, they're in the toilet bowl for whoever wins that uh, game will get the first overall pick in our rookie draft. Okay, so there's there's a lot on the line there. But that I mean, Christian Yelich, uh, I just love his story right and he's just when you look at him you're like how is this guy uh as dominant as he's hitting home runs he's just got this small compact frame i know he's probably huge compared to you and i and uh, in terms of a muscular build but just right. uh not that big bulky guy that you expect to hit type of home runs and it's for a small market team like the milwaukee brewers especially for them uh being in the wild card hunt in the national league it's, it's got to be particularly devastating too but i mean for to lose him right now in what I, I know our, our fantasy baseball playoffs in the great white North baseball league uh, happened a little bit earlier than a lot of other people's. I'm sure they're just getting underway now in some, but we're already two weeks into ours. Uh, it, it's tough. It's uh, it's a tough guy to replace. He's an MVP candidate. Yeah. And uh, you know, there's a big debate in our fantasy baseball league. Who's the fantasy uh, baseball MVP right now. Uh, he's in that conversation. Of course, Cody Bellinger, uh, Mike Trout. I mean, you can go down the list of all the great players, Ron Acuna, uh, so he's in that conversation. So a difficult uh, time to lose him uh, for anybody, and in particular for the Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah, and and you lose a guy like that in fantasy, uh, you know your your team it takes a huge dive because he represents so many categories. You know, stolen bases even. So you know it's a it's a five tool guy uh, going down for you. Uh, oh, I just uh, this just coming out. Uh, Shohei Otani is going to have surgery. 
Uh, oh, that, that's, you know, like guys are dropping like flies. Mac Muncy's Max Muncy's supposed to be back right away, but that just broke. I just, this came popped up on my phone. So uh, another uh, fantasy option out the window for somebody. Yeah. And then the, with the Anaheim angels being every out, like there's what, what that's right. Keeping Shohei Otani in, in the lineup, right? It doesn't do you any good. You're already looking towards 2020. So as much as I would frustrate any fantasy owner, you have the realistic point of view and realize that there's a lot more at stake and uh, a wise choice for the Anaheim Angels, uh, putting him on the shelf for the rest of the season. All right. Uh, big news in Winnipeg today is that a contract was signed. Uh, it wasn't one of the names a lot of Jet fans uh, were probably hoping uh, for, but uh, still a very important piece of this puzzle. Josh Morrissey signs. It's a $50 million deal, about 6.25. And by the way, I love that the Jets put the dollar figures out on Twitter so we don't all have to speculate. We can all find out uh, at some point anyway, but nice that they do it. Let's talk about Josh Morrissey's fantasy impact last year. Career high in assists last year, played uh, over 22 and a half minutes. He should be a number one guy with Dustin Bufflin this year, shouldn't he? Yeah, that's what, I mean, if you draw it down here, of course, Dustin Bufflin plays the right side, Josh Morrissey, your left side. And now Morrissey played with Jacob Trubo in the team's top uh, defense pairing and shutdown pairing last year. Uh, a lot of his points, uh, he'll get a lot more opportunities this year. Like, you, you can look at Josh Morrissey, and I was uh, just talking to Pete Jensen from NHL.com a couple weeks ago. He kind of nailed Josh Morrissey as like a sleeper candidate in fantasy hockey leagues. And I think he should be a little bit more than that because – while he won't likely be on the Jets' first power play unit, Dustin Bufflin will be on the point for that one. I guarantee you just, Josh Morrissey will handle the second unit uh, numbers. And one of the things uh, Scout from the Jets told me that they love about Josh Morrissey is that he doesn't have that big shot, but he finds a way to get the puck on the net. And that's the most important thing, clearly, when you're running the point on, on the power play. So Josh Morrissey, I think, you know, he's got those 31 points in just 59 games. Missed the last part of last year with a shoulder injury. Uh, cost him a lot of games, a lot of points, and probably yeah, I don't I don't know if you want to say it'll cost him some money, but it, it might have a, a little bit ahead of time. But this is uh, I think you're looking more between the 45 to 50 point range if Josh Morrissey plays uh, you know a full schedule this year, and I don't think that's out of the realm to expect at least 50 points uh, from the Jets defenseman. And the key here too, if you we're not looking from a fantasy perspective, it's a great thing to if you see the Jets another member of the core group locking in long-term. And that probably says a lot of things to, you know, Jets fans outside, you know, Jets fans, uh, here's another big name player committing long-term to this organization. And that's something they need right now as they kind of delve through what they're going to do with Patrick Laine and Kyle Connor. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they, they have to solve that. But I, I agree with you. I think, uh, I think Josh Morrissey can get to, uh, I think he can get at least at least another 10, 15 maybe points. And, and I guess it all depends on um, uh, the health and, and all that uh, situation. Uh, do you got a quick commish story? Well, I mean, the commission story already is just the reaction from the owners in our league about uh, the relegation rule. That's and right. We had, I, I, I sent it out via text message that we did the, the show and announced on your show. Uh, a lot of mixed reviews. There's a lot of people frustrated, but I had one owner text me and say, if, <laughs> if, if I get relegated this year, I'm gone. And I'm like, okay. I, I just said, you're getting upset about something that hasn't even happened That's yet. Right. It was very interesting to see the reaction. I had like long-term owners telling me, you know, I've been a part of this league since the beginning. I'm like, that's the whole point of this, man. It's like, it, it, it gets people talking and you're already freaking out in the first week of the season. I'm look, I'm last in our league right now. I have the lowest points for right now. And I'm, I find it ironic that I made the rule and you're sitting there looking at, it. so you're going, okay, I don't want to finish last anymore. 
because I don't want to get kicked out. And that's something you're aware of. Whereas four, you know, you're about halfway through the year and you're already talking about trading, trading everyone away, looking towards the future. This changes everything. This tries to keep everybody competitive throughout the year. So I had a lot of guys, a lot of negative reaction, stupidest rule I've ever heard of. But when you have a 16 team league, you have 16 different personalities. You're not always going to have that. And the best thing ever is, and it, it took me a long time to do this, not to get everything personally, because it's not, you're not going to make everybody happy. And I can imagine being Gary Bettman in some a much bigger sense of trying to make 31 owners and now soon 32 owners happy. Uh, so it was a very interesting reaction to the rule. That's just something that happens when you're trying to do things to spice things up in your league. You're going to have a lot of people reacting because a lot of people don't like change. That's in fantasy sports as well. Yeah, I, I love it. It's a great rule. Uh, if, if anybody missed it, we have a relegation rule. So if you finish last, unless you have won a title in the past two years or you won the toilet bowl, you are out of the league for at least one year. I, I absolutely love it. And I just hope I uh, hope I don't finish last. So uh, that's that's the way it goes. If if you don't want to get relegated, yeah, don't don't finish last, right? That's all, that's all there is to it. It's quite simple, actually. Good stuff, my man. Thanks for joining us. Have right, a great buddy. week. Enjoy training camps this weekend. We'll touch, uh, touch base next week. Hopefully there's some more news on uh, the coming next week of uh, some players coming in, Dino. Yeah, no doubt. Take care, buddy. Yeah. Okay, all, my be- all the best, my friend. There is Jamie Thomas of Jets TV. Joins me for Fantasy Fun Time each week here on the podcast, as well as Sports and More Live on the 12-ounce Sports Radio Network. Uh, remember... If you want to earn yourself a $25 gift card for Acme Meat Market in Edmonton, and you know, after hearing the interview with Wade Redden, who he scored his first NHL goal on, what goalie, you can email us at sportsandmorepod at gmail.com, and we'll get in touch if you are indeed the winner. Big thanks to Wade Wade Redden for joining me on the show today. Uh, We'll get back to all the bells and whistles of the uh, regular podcast when I'm feeling better next week. Uh, You can join me on Sports & More live tomorrow. That'd be Friday, 2 p.m. on the 12-ounce Sports Radio Network. Thanks to Wade Redden and Jamie Thomas. Have yourself a great week, everybody. Playtime is over. The Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. If I only had those two huge hands, maybe I could.